You're now listening to the Stouffville Pentecostal Church audio podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Our message today was preached by our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff Laird. Have a listen. Today, I want to talk a little bit about praying and what comes after we pray. What comes after the amen? And uh, uh, if you have... uh, if you have uh, the notes, or uh, if you're online, uh, the notes are there for you to follow along. And uh, I, I was thinking this week about, Paul says in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, we should pray without ceasing. And we, we, we get that. We get that that's important, that he's encouraging us to try to stay in this attitude of prayer as much as we can. And like I said last week, to look for the margins in our lives, to just to say thank you, Lord, to to be in that constant state of communion with him as much as we possibly can. And as believers in Jesus, of course, we know that we're called to pray. We know that we should pray more. We know that we need to pray regularly. We we understand that it's important and it's a uh, and it should be a bigger part of our lives. But sometimes I wonder if we think prayer is a passive thing. And I was thinking this week that prayer is actually not a passive thing. It's not just a passive thing. That God actually wants us to do something. And that prayer, not every time, but almost every time, leads to activity. Prayer usually leads to activity. Did you know that there's examples in the Bible, several as a matter of fact, where God actually tells people to stop praying. He says, stop praying, stop, because it's time to move on and it's time for you to obey. It's time for you to do what I've asked you to do. Stop praying, get up from your knees, get up from your chair and go do what I've asked you to do. It's it's more than just a passive thing. So of course we're to pray more, but what happens after the amen. What happens after we pray? Well, as you could well imagine, I have a few thoughts on that matter. Here's a couple of things. First, number one, after praying, we need to take action. After praying, we need to take action. Here's our example, Exodus chapter 14 Uh, Put it up for me. Verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, this is when uh, the uh, Israelites had left Egypt and they were were trapped between uh, uh, the the Egyptian army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side. And they were, this is the state that they were in. So as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? I love the I told you so's. We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch. The Lord will rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. 
and the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff, raise your, and raise, uh, and raise over, uh, raise your? Oh, I didn't get that on my screen. It was like, raise what? That seems weird. Yeah, raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. He, he's saying, get up, get moving. It's time. So here Moses is saying, hey, hey, stand still, stay calm. You know, it's okay. And God says, listen, it's not a time to stand still. It's a time to get moving. And he, he just, he's like, come on now. And it's, I just love it. Moses is like, just stand still. God, God will deliver us. And God says, get up, get up, get up, get going, get going, get going. And uh, he tells him to stop praying and to start doing something. In other words, now is not the time to pray. Now is the time for action. I've already told you what to do. Get up and get it and get doing it. So you have your instructions. Now go do it. Don't stand still praying. Start marching forward. This is something that it, it's a message I think that sometimes we need to hear. See, prayer is so important to get the plan of God, to get the courage of God, to get the strength of God to get the insight of God, but once it's received, you've got to get up off your chair. You've got to start acting. I read this week, uh, and I thought it was really interesting. Uh, somebody said prayer should not be used as a spiritual filibuster. And uh, now a filibuster, if you don't know, is when a politician will try to keep a bill from being passed. And so uh, the only way to do that is what they call a filibuster, and the politician will get up in the house, and he will stand there, and he will waste time by talking and talking and talking and talking, and the bill cannot be voted on until everybody has finished talking, and he refuses to shut up. And so there's been, throughout history, people who have talked for 18 hours, 20 hours, you know, trying to stop a bill from being passed. And the guy says, listen, don't use prayer as, as a spiritual filibuster. You're not just called to pray and pray and pray and pray. You're, you're, you're also called to get up and do something about it. And uh, it just got me thinking about how prayer involves action so many times. Uh, I started thinking about all the things that we pray about, that I pray about, that we're concerned with. And most of the time, of course, God expects us to be actively involved in carrying out his will. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. We have a role to play. And a lot of times we're too passive in our prayer life where we don't, we're not intending it to be a spiritual filibuster, but we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray, but we don't really do much about it. We sort of sit back and wait for God to answer. Now, granted, there are things, of course, right, that are completely out of our control and that we have to just trust God with those things. But if you think about it, much of what we pray about, we do actually have the ability to do something about. It, it's, uh, it's remarkable the more uh, it, it comes to mind, the more you think about it. 
Uh, here's one example in James chapter 2, verse 14. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. Then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So should we pray for people who are living on the streets? Should we ask the Lord to help them, to provide for them, to, to give them what they need? Of course we should. But guess what? You can actually do something about it, right? You can actually be the answer to prayer. You can do that. And so that's just one example. We, we pray for people, Lord, save this person, save this person, save this person. Maybe you should call that person and have a coffee and start sharing your life and sharing Jesus with them. There's, there's so many things that we can do with our prayer uh, or after we pray that I think as you dwell on it, I believe that the Holy Spirit will give you insight into that. So prayer is not supposed to be a way that we procrastinate. It, it's not supposed to be a way that we put off what God has called us to do. Uh, when people say stuff like, I'm still praying about it, we've heard that, or just I'm praying about it, or I'm still praying about it, uh, it can sound like a spiritual thing to say, but sometimes I'm absolutely convinced that it's actually used to cover up our fear. It's actually used to cover up our reluctance to actually do anything. We're still praying about it. Well, I say, well, what, what more do you want the Holy Spirit to say? What more does he need to say? How much more clarity does he need to bring into your mind? Israel was given the promised land. Think about it. But they had to still go possess it, right? If they sit in their tents and they pray and plan and pray and plan and never get out of their tent, they're not going to get the land. They had to get up and do something. We pray and we receive our marching orders and then we go out and we do it. Prayer requires action a lot of times. So as Israel made their way to the promised land, of course, there's, there's going to be challenges, yes. There's going to be giants to overcome. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be moments of failure. There's going to be a sea that you have to walk through. But the land was theirs if they would rise up and take it. He says, Moses, now is not the time to stand still. Now is the time to get up and get moving. And there's many times, I think, that we can do uh, a, a more action after we pray. And I've been thinking about it myself, how I can't let myself, or we can't let ourselves off the hook by saying, well, we prayed about it, now it's up to God. Maybe as we pray about it, it's saying, and Lord, what can I do about it? What, what can you use me for to bring the change? What can I do to help facilitate your miracle, your transformation, your answer to prayer? What can I do about it? And this has to be now, I believe, a, a regular part of how we pray. Don't just pray about the issue, but say, and what can I do to help? What can I do to solve it? And see if the Holy Spirit gives you an answer back. It's the kind of spirit like this in Joshua chapter 14. Put it up for me. Caleb. And uh, you remember uh, 12 spies were sent into the land. You know, 10 were bad and 2 were good. You know, 
and uh, Joshua and Caleb go in and say, we can take the land. We can take the land. Yeah, there's giants, you know, uh, ancestors of Anak, the big giant people, but God is with us. We can do it. And 10 guys said, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. Can't do it. And so they never went in. And so Caleb was disappointed, and they wandered around for another 40 years when he was ready to go in that day. And now, now this is what he says. Now he's talking to Joshua, and he says, Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised, uh, for all of these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts we found the descendants of Anak living in great walled cities. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. Don't you just love that kind of a spirit? Right? I mean, it's miraculous that the man is 85 and can fight as good as when he was 40, first of all. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm just talking about the spirit of the man. That he says, hey, I was ready to go take the land 40-plus years ago. Let me add it. I know they're there. I know their great walled cities is there. But if the Lord is with me, I will take it. And guess what he did? He went and he took it. He did it. So... He's saying, come on, I've already received the answer from the Lord. He's already told me what, what I'm to do and what's mine. He's already given me the promise. But I've got to get up and I've got to be allowed to go do it. And so I just love that kind of heart. So it may be time for you to stop praying about it and start thinking about what you can do about it. And, and I'll leave that with you. But I had... Uh, you, this is, a, this is a good phrase that I was thinking about this week. How can the Lord bless your steps if you're not willing to move your feet? How can the Lord bless your steps if you're not willing to move your feet? That's a good one. Somebody should write that down. Yeah. How can he bless our steps? How can he direct our lives if we're not willing to move? We must do something after we pray. Just before I pop on uh, uh, to a couple others, and we'll, uh, they'll be quick, but I just wanted to say this. I think we can make two extreme mistakes when it comes to praying. One is that we don't pray enough or that we don't pray at all. And sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that, you know, if if we work hard enough, if we think hard enough, if we get all the updated info, if we use our creativity, you know, uh, we can make things happen in, in our own strength. And that's obviously a mistake. But the second extreme to prayer that I think sometimes we make is what we're talking about right now, is we pray and then we just sit and wait for the miracle to be delivered to our to our front door. Most of the time, there is a partnership between us and the Lord if we're going to see great things happen. You know the story of when I was driving down Hoover Park and I felt, I felt the Spirit say, that's your corner right there. Your new church is going to be built right there. 
It was just an empty piece of field with knee-high grass. And I, you know, I've talked about it so many times, you know how powerful that moment was for me. But I realized when I got back to the church and started pondering the ramifications of that vision, I was going to have to do something about it. In fact, eight years of something about it. Hundreds and hundreds of hours of something about it. Do the work. Take courage. God is with you. And I will finish the temple correctly. But get up and do the work. This is what it sometimes takes. There's this partnership. And I wanted to show you a couple of examples in Scripture so you don't think I'm crazy. Uh, there, there are so many, tons, but here's just three that, that came to my mind this week. The first one is uh, Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. We don't have the time to read it, but Naaman has leprosy, and he's not well. And he goes to Elisha, the prophet, to be prayed for. He wants Elisha to heal him. And so Elisha doesn't even come out of his door. He just sends a message to him and says, Go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And, and Naaman is like borderline offended. He's like an important official. I've come all this way and the man won't even get out of his house. He won't even come and see me. What kind of nonsense is that? Plus, the rivers in my home are cleaner and nicer and better than the Jordan River. Nonsense. And so he marches off upset and, until a servant says to him, listen, uh, uh, if... If the prophet had asked you to do something really hard, would you have done it? He's asked you to dip yourself in, this, in, in the river seven times. I mean, what do you have to lose, right? You've come all this way. And so Naaman then softens, says, yeah, that's a good idea. He goes down into the river. He dips himself seven times, and guess what happens? He comes out, it says, skin as smooth and as fresh as a baby, right? Completely well and completely healed. He almost didn't do it, but when he did do what he was supposed to do, he was healed. So the question remains, what would have happened to Naaman if he didn't go down into the river? Number two, Jesus in John chapter 21, he yells out to the disciples, throw your net on the other side. They weren't even sure it was the Lord. They couldn't even tell because they were out so far. They had been out all night and had caught nothing. Professional fishermen, they know how to fish. Throwing the net on the other side of the boat is a borderline ridiculous comment to make. And, and some random stranger, hey, throw your net. You know, and then they sort of realize, okay, it's, it, this could be the Lord. This is maybe the Lord. And they're, you know, there's like, do it, do it. Let's throw our net out on the other side. You know the story. What happens? They caught so many fish that their nets start to break. Now, the question remains, what would have happened if they didn't throw their nets out one more time? Jesus at a wedding in John chapter 2. They run out of wine. It's a terrible cultural thing to run out of wine in a wedding. He tells the servants to fill these large pots with water. They, they held like 20 to 30 gallons. They were like something like six to 700 pounds. To fill these things was a pain in the neck, okay? It wasn't just dip a little cup in. It was work to fill these giant pots. 
And I, I want you to, because this is a, I want you to get this phrase. Put up for me John chapter 2, verse 6. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars were, when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies, and the servants followed his instructions. And guess what happened when they dipped the water out? It turned into beautiful wine, and the host got complimented for serving his best wine last. Don't miss the phrase, when the jars had been filled. I think people don't talk about that enough in that story. He says, fill the jars with water. So they go to fill these six, seven jars with water, 20 to 30. They're made of stone. They're ginormous and heavy and awkward, right? And when did, when did the miracle happen? When the jars were filled with water, then he said, take a dip and see what comes out. What would have happened? What would have happened? if the servants had refused to follow his instructions. After we pray, after we receive clear direction from the Lord, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, it is time to move. It is time to act. You don't need to pray anymore. You need to get up off your chair and to start to move forward. All of us do. Check this out. It's the very essence of the gospel. Romans chapter 10, this thought about going. Verse 9 to 15, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. It's the very essence. God wants people to be saved. It's the essence of the gospel. But how can they believe if they've not heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them unless they're sent and supported and prayed for? A partnership. Of course we are to pray for salvation. Of course we are to pray for the spread of the gospel. Of course, of course we are. We all know that. But you can't negate the fact that it actually also requires action. Someone must go. Someone must go. Jesus said it himself. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. If it could be done by us sitting at home praying, then maybe he wouldn't have told us to go. But there's a going that's involved. 
What do we do after the amen? What do we do after the prayer? What do we do after we receive our marching orders? Action must be connected to our prayers. And if we're not willing to obey, then our prayers will soon become empty, hollow, and meaningless. If you want the Lord to direct your steps, you must be willing to move your feet. And so, after praying, take action. I spent a lot of time on that. I just felt led. We, I just wanted to get that point into your soul today. We, we have to think about this. It, it, it is absolutely vital and important. Uh, a couple more and then we're done, and I, I promise it won't be long. So, after praying, take action. Number two, after praying... Deal with your sin. The example that I want to give is Israel had been defeated by Ai. Joshua had come. They had seen the great miracle, the walls of Jericho crashing down. And then they come to this, this little nothing town. Insignificant, you know, one of those towns that you should just ride over. They're, these people will have nothing, no strength to stop us. And yet, when they get to Ai, they're defeated. And Joshua is astounded, he's bewildered, he's confused, and he prays. A good thing to do. Joshua chapter 7, verse 10. But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me, and they have not only stolen them, but they've lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat, for now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. It's a serious comment. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Get up. Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. Youch! You will never defeat your enemies unless you remove these things that are among you. He says, get up and deal with the sin in the camp, right? Get up and deal with it. Get up and do something about it. Stop praying, deal with it, get it done so Israel can move forward into victory. We have got to pray. And when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in our lives and says, you know that this is wrong, and I'm reminding you this is inappropriate. You need to fix this. You need to change this. You need to deal with this. You need to overcome this. You need to make this a part of your past. When he puts his finger on something, it's time. It's time. Psalm 66, verse 18. Psalmist says, if I had not confessed the sin that was in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. We just can't keep walking around with sin in the camp and have our prayers be effective and powerful. He says you'll never defeat your enemies unless you deal with the stuff that's among you. That's a sobering thought. If we don't take our thoughts captive, 
If we don't deal with our sin, if we don't start moving forward and dealing with the stuff and the baggage and the dysfunction and the hurts and the pain and the addiction and all the things that hold us back, it is going to impact our lives. It is going to make our prayers ineffective. It will steal the joy of the Lord that will sap our strength. We will start operating in our own wisdom and we will never go anywhere or do anything of eternal value if we don't have the anointing, the blessing, the leading, the covering, and the power of the Spirit upon us. And so he says, listen, deal with it. He says to Joshua, get up. Get up. Stop praying. Get up and do something about it. So we got to deal with our sin. A couple of verses real quick. Isaiah chapter 1. Look at this one. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight and give up your evil ways. Sin has a negative impact on our prayers, on our life, on our mission. So we've got to do what we must to rid ourselves of any sin that is holding us back that is holding us hostage, that is not allowing us to move forward. Look at what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Really powerful words. After we pray, we've got to deal with our sin. When he speaks to you about something, you don't need to pray about it 10 more times. He's already told you that he doesn't like it. We've got to deal with it. Lastly, third, after praying, we have to make things right with others. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. He said, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. You see, when you pray, I like it when he says, and you suddenly remember. I just feel like, uh, really? Maybe Holy Spirit? is just do-do-do-do while you're praying. Oh, hey, what about uh, you were mean to Aunt Marge last week, you know? She's still mad at you, and you're still mad at her. And now you're coming and trying to worship and praise and give me, you know, give me offerings and try to live your life. And I suddenly remembered that I was mean to Aunt Marge. Isn't that a miracle how that happens? Yeah. No, it's called the work of the Holy Spirit, right? When you pray, the Holy Spirit will and can uh, remind you of certain people that you are in conflict with. Uh, don't raise your hand, but, you know, it's happened to all of us. You know, disunity in any family, a, a, a disruption in relationship with anybody, it, it needs to be made right. And sometimes we aren't sure how to do it. Sometimes we put it off. 
but it needs to be made right. And when you're reminded of it, he's, he's telling you, leave your, leave, your, leave, your, leave your offering. You know, if you walk into church and the worship leader begins to sing one song and the Holy Spirit says, you need to make that right with your husband. You need to make that right with your son. You have my permission. Turn around and walk right out those doors and make it right. Don't, don't delay. Don't stall. It impacts us in a negative way, all of us. Disunity of any kind, disunity in any kind of a family, in any, in any part of your life, it's a weakness that the enemy can exploit, and it's very, very important to make these things right. If you are constantly living in conflict with somebody, trust me, it's not going to get better. You have to go make it right. And I understand the dynamics of sometimes trying to make a relationship right with a very difficult person, with someone who doesn't even want to make it right. But this, this, is, this is what's on us. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. And so it's important. One quick verse, First uh, Peter. Look at this too in terms of husband and wives' uh, relationship. In the same way, your husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Kind of interesting verse, isn't it? We have to make things right. Jesus says, as soon as the reminder is given, stop right there and go do it. And I'm just encouraging us all, and I'm speaking to to me as much as I'm speaking to you. We have to apologize if we need to apologize. We, We have to show mercy if we need to show mercy. We need to give forgiveness if that's what's required. But we've got to do all we can to make it right and to not be satisfied with living in conflict and just think it's okay. It's not okay, and we need to try to get over it as best we can. So do all you can to make it right. Think about God reconciling us to himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. And now we have been given, right, the ministry and the responsibility of reconciliation. We are peacemakers. We are reconcilers. We are not people who live with conflict and who tolerate it in our lives. We see it as a weakness and as a sin. We see it as something that is not good for us or for the kingdom of God. And so we look for ways to try to get over it and get past it and to make things right. So yes, we should pray without ceasing. Paul's right when he says that in 1 Thessalonians 5. We should be in an attitude of prayer as much as we can. We should pray more and do it more regularly. But what we do after we pray is very important. So I'm encouraging us, take action where action is required. Deal with sin and take whatever practical steps are needed for you to get victory over that particular sin. Make right any issue with any person if the Holy Spirit brings it to your mind. Prayer will require action, and we must be willing to do it if we hope to move forward 
into the plan that Jesus wants to give us. So what do you do after you say amen? I encourage us all to do whatever the Holy Spirit tells us to do. Whatever he says, rise up and go do it in Jesus' name. Come on, let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're at home and you're watching this service today and you don't know Jesus, it is always the number one step to begin to move forward in your life is to find him. We read Romans chapter 10. It's God's desire that everybody be saved. He sent his own son while we were still sinners because he loved us that much. He wants to make us better. He wants to transform our lives. And he wants to transform your life too. Nobody is too far gone and nobody has done such things that you can't find forgiveness and love in the arms of the Savior. And so if you're watching today and you don't know the Lord, would you reach out to us? There is a great God and a great relationship that is waiting for you. And uh, we believe that there is such power in it, such freedom in it, such life in it, such hope in it, that the world can't give it to you. And once you have it, your life will be changed and transformed for the better. And so if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, reach out to us and help. let us help you, guide you, and get you started in the right direction. Amen. Thank you, Lord. For those of us that are believers, I encourage us all, we need to pray and pray and pray and pray. We need to pray as much as we possibly can. But let's not just use prayer as an excuse to not go do something when the Lord puts his finger on us and tells us it's time to move. And I encourage us believers, if you're here today and or those that are watching, let's start praying not just about the need, but let's just let's start asking God, and is there anything that I can do? Is there anything, is there any role that I can play? Is there any part that I can do? Even if it's a tiny minuscule part, can I give money? Can I make a phone call? Can I, can I go speak to somebody? Can I, can I offer my services somewhere? Can I, can I make a relationship right? Lord, what can I do? What can I do to see the miracle that I'm praying for take place? I believe if you have that attitude, he will speak to you and you will find remarkable ways that he can use you to get stuff done. It's still God, by the way, answering the prayer. It's still God getting it done. We're not foolish enough to take credit. We're just smart enough to be a part of the process, right? And so I encourage us all today, what we do after we pray is very important. So, Father, we love you today. We bless you. We thank you. Thank you for the gift of prayer. And thank you, Lord, for the communication that we have with the Holy Spirit, that he is our guide. He's our comforter. He's our, he's our revealer. He's our counselor. He is the one that gives us courage and strength. Jesus, you sent him to us because you knew that we would need him. And so, Holy Spirit, here we are. And we want to be men and women who are used for the kingdom of God. We want to be people who 
regardless of how old we are, regardless of our health status, regardless of how much money we have in the bank, we are still here and we still want to be used for the kingdom. And so as we pray, Holy Spirit, please speak to us. Please help us, guide us, strengthen us, lead us into the way that you want us to go and help us, Lord, to get up off our chair and to, and to be playing an active role in the part that you want us to play. And so I ask you, Father, for that today. I ask you for that for me, for everyone in this room, that as we pray and you give us direction, you, you would also give us, Lord, the courage to get up and go do it. And that we would not just, Lord, use prayer as a spiritual filibuster because we're, we're afraid or because we're, we're, we're just uncertain or, 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 or just not wanting to obey. When you speak, we obey. When you say jump, Lord, we jump. When you say walk, we, we walk. When you say go, we go. And so help us, Father, to be that responsive to the moving of the Spirit in our lives. Bless each person today. We love you, Lord. You are good. May your peace, Lord, may your grace. Father, may your protection. May your smile be upon us today as we go. May we feel and know the love of God. And may you motivate us, Father, to be the people of God, to bring the message of God to a world that is in such desperation. Thank you, Jesus, today. May your blessing, your covering, and your power rest on us, we pray. God's people said amen. Amen. God bless you. See everybody at home. We'll see you next Sunday. Blessings on y'all. Thanks for listening to Stovall Pentecostal Church Audio Podcast. For more information about Stovall Pentecostal Church, including service times, please visit our website at www.spcfamily.ca. Have a good week and God bless.